0: Tom oversees all of our kind of administration, all the business, all of the structure and organization. He has a really powerful and seasoned background in that, and uh, he is our executive pastor, and so we love to have him just get up here and dialogue with you guys. I'm still working with the Holy Spirit on him doing an entire message, but yeah. but he's just struggling with faith about that. Keep, so maybe keep that's... Work,
1: keep working on
0: that. <laughs> so would you just appreciate Tom? <laughs>
1: Thank you. It's always so good to worship with everyone here at, uh, in our Kess- with our and family. So uh, I'm just going to briefly recap last year, 2021, and then talk briefly about uh, so far where we're at this year. So for many of you, you know that year after year, we've, we've uh, just been growing. Um, the giving has been growing every year. Our attendance has been growing. And last year is no different. For the year of 2021, our tithes and offering were up over 30% over the previous year. So we are very thankful. Yes, th- we're very thankful for that. So thankful, thank you for your faithful giving. Thank you for your prayers. Thanks for all you do for our staff. Um, so far this year in 2022, it's a little different story. We're actually down a little bit. And this is, I think, Danny, the first time that I've had to report that we've been down a little bit for the first two and a half months. And we understand, you know, times are a little more difficult now. You know, it costs more to fill up your gas tank cost more to feed your family, so we think there's some factors there, but uh, we're just going to trust the Lord uh, that he will provide, and that uh, we just pr- we just ask you guys to prayerfully consider where you're at with your giving so far this year, and uh, we're going to trust that he will take care of us, so uh, Danny, that's it for the giving, you had some some additional things?
0: Yeah, so we told you that, uh, so this building is, is 30,000 square feet, it's 10,000 on each level, we've remodeled the top two floors since it was given to us a few years back. If you have been downstairs, uh, you would experience a time warp and you would go straight back to 1955. Uh, And it's a beautiful space, there's a lot of opportunity for it, but we have been kind of building up to presenting to you as a church what we were gonna be doing down there and raise some funds and really finish off this building. And then from there we would move forward to talk about the Columbia campus. We wanted to finish this project first and talk about what God was gonna do over at our Columbia campus. But with giving down like it is, we as leadership, as elders, uh, Tom and his wisdom, and I just feel also very strongly that we should probably pause that, that uh, we should take time to make sure that that we are stable as a community, that we're continuing to to function and fund all the ministries and do all the things that are very people-focused. But I know a lot of you have been asking, like, when is that starting, and tell us more about it. So we wanted to at least show you the color boards that we prepped for this. Uh, in spite of pausing, this is kind of the, the future of what we're hoping for. One of the biggest things that we need down there uh, is a brand new kitchen because we do a lot of hosting here. And so these are just concepts, and so, uh, but they are sort of something that we uh, have been dreaming about and thinking about. And then obviously, uh, and this will be very exciting for a lot of us, but uh, we want to uh, pull our staff into this building, because right now we have an offsite office because we uh, don't have any office space here. And so we'd love to eventually create space downstairs for our staff to be on site so that people can come by. I think it'll create a whole new vibe. It'll just be a really exciting thing and a long time coming. We've not had an office in a church for the entire 12 years we've existed. And so it's, it's a really big deal. I think our team's a little bummed that we're not starting this project. We were hoping to start it like here in about a month and finish it by fall. But again, we just feel like uh, at this moment in time, it's just best for us to pause that, and that's just us being authentic and transparent with all of you, but showing you sort of the plans. And you know, um, if if uh, one of you just has an extra three hundred thousand, you just want to write a check for, we will start this next week, right, right away. That's right. Um, but, but, uh, if you don't, uh, we're going to wait till God provides for us, um, as he always does. Amen. 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 Good. Anything else you want to share with us?
1: Yeah. Just one final thing, Danny is, is for those of you who use our giving platform online and on your phone, there's a box you can check to take care of the transaction fees on that. And sometimes it can be anywhere from a few cents to a couple of bucks. That's something that would really help us out a great deal right now. About half of you check that box and it saves us about $1,200 a month just in the transaction for you. So if that's something you can do, we would sure appreciate it.
0: Yep, all right. Let's, uh, let's just lift all this to God. He's the one who's in charge of it. It's his church, it's his, it's his, uh, it's his plans, and all we wanna do is uh, steward it well and be responsive to, to how he wants to lead it. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we as a community can come together and, um, and, and just listen to you. We can respond to uh, the needs of the people that you have brought into this space. And we are so very honored that uh, you allow us to, to uh, be a part of this journey and this building of your community and your church. And so we are thankful, we are grateful, and we lift these needs to you. We lift uh, the families in this room that are affected by all that's happening in this, uh, in this world and in this economy. And we know, God, that uh, there are so many other things that, uh, that we can bring to you. And so we just, we just bring it all, and we are grateful and we give you all the glory and all the honor, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we appreciate Tom one more time? So again, uh, thanks guys for being here today. Thanks for everybody joining online. We have a a really interesting dynamic right now happening in our church where at the moment we have more people online watching us than we have in attendance, even with everybody coming back right now. And so I just wanna thank all of those people who are uh, viewing, uh, especially ones that are out of state and are, are calling this their church home even though they've never been here and never met any of us. It's really an interesting time. But uh, I just want to remind us that Kesset is a place for people who are spiritually curious. It's a place for people with church hurt. It's a place for people who can disagree respectfully and still sit in a community alongside others. It's a place for people uh, who are struggling with the idea that there even is a God and it's a place for people who have been following this very alive and real God their entire lives, and that's what makes this room so very interesting. Uh, Chandra, who's been helping us out with worship, uh, described this room in that kind of beautiful way where she said, this is just a really interesting room because you've got some people who are just fully engaging and you've got other people who are like, who are you? And and yet both of, both of those are genuine reflections, right? Both of those are really honest, and Kesset is a place where uh, where, where you get to come and be yourself, and you get to bring it. And I think that that is a really important part of this, uh, this, this community that God is building. This series right now is called That's Not Helpful, and we're talking about what it means as Christians uh, to be helpful to the community that we're around and how we oftentimes don't know what to say so we just offer these cliches. We just offer these sort of uh, answers that we've somehow picked up along the way that were probably poured over our lives and we were going through some difficult time that didn't really help us but we just figured, well, that must be what Christians do. And those things are represented by this big glowing X. Uh, that those are the things that are not helpful. And then there's other things that are helpful that, that are much harder to find and that's what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna talk about the idea that every person in this room uh, has a mind full of words, that we all think all the time about every situation we come across, and then we have to decide what's helpful to share and what's helpful not to share. This is the topic that I sort of want to uh, unfold for us today. Now, I'm unique in that my mind full of words actually turned into something that I now do for a living, which is stand on this stage under these lights and talk to all of you. Uh, Now, I think most of us know that uh, one of the greatest fears that people have is public speaking, and somehow my brain was damaged as a child, and I never, ever had that fear. Uh, I used to debate with my mother, the lady at Target, my history teachers. Uh, I, I just always, always was, whatever was in my mind, I just felt like the world needed to know. And if I'm honest... Uh, it caused a lot of damage in my life. I hurt a lot of people because of that, because I would just tell them every single thing I thought all the time. Now, I'm grateful that not everybody uh, has to walk out that path, but I have learned over time that whether you say it or not, whether you're gifted like I am or in a completely different way, uh, like my wife's a writer, so my wife would much rather sit in an argument, discuss with me, and then send me a giant email of all of her very mean thoughts about me... (laughs) And, my, and, my, and I don't like that stuff, right? Because I'm like, I can't debate with that. I can't argue. I, all I can do is highlight and then have some thoughts. Like, it's not, it's not fun at all. But I have found that a lot more people are like her than are like me. And I want to give you a story, for instance, of somebody that I think is much more like most of us when it came to his mind full of words and how God used that but how it also brought a bit of damage to his life. Because I think as Christians, we have to figure out what to do with our mind full of words, what to do with the people we see, the lifestyles we see, the worldviews we see. We have to figure out what is actually helpful to say because if we don't, then we, it either shows up on our face, right? Like my assistant, Alyssa, who helps and programs all this, she has an incredibly expressive face when it comes to things she's disappointed in. And so sometimes we'll sit in meetings and I will have to block her from this person that's sharing this absurd logic about why they decided to behave or do this thing because Alyssa's in the room like, and they're like, what, what? And I'm like, no, no, she's just, she's, she just doesn't feel well today. That's what's going on. And we've worked on it. Ask her, we've worked on it. Like She actually just recently out of a meeting came and she was like, how was my face? And I was like, it was awesome. Good for you controlling your face. But that's a, that's a, pretty, normal, that's a pretty normal thing for a lot of people. There's a man in the Bible by the name of Moses that obviously most of us know about who had a mind full of words that he just couldn't share. And God came to him. And said, "Here's what I want you to do. You're going to lead the people out of bondage, out of this broken lifestyle, and you're going to follow me." And he was fine with just about all of it except for the speaking part. He said, "I I don't really think I can do that." And God's like, "No, you can." And he's like, "No, I'm telling you, I can." And God's like, "No, I'm I'm like God. I'm telling you, you can." And he's like, "Listen, I'm your man. I'll help, but I'm not I'm not going to speak. Give me someone to help." And so he sort of abdicated a portion of his authority to his older brother Aaron. And Aaron became the spokesman. And not a lot of people realize that uh, often through uh, that whole season where Moses is talking to Pharaoh and exiting the people of Israel, it's actually Aaron who's speaking on behalf of Moses who gave that portion of his calling and his authority away. I think some of us, some of us, uh, we've given a portion of our authority and calling away because we don't want to be mean or unkind we don't want to say something we shouldn't so we just don't say anything and then other people step into the gap of the authority we are called to have and all of a sudden they start saying things on our behalf that that we don't really mean but we've given them the authority and the platform to do so i'm just going to say this in a very vulnerable vulnerable way we as churches have done that with our pastors We have given too much authority to people like me sitting on stage telling people like you and your friends what it is they're supposed to believe and think. We as churches are supposed to be a community where people can disagree, where you understand I'm just doing the human thing like you're doing the human thing, and God has called me to do it in a certain way, but it doesn't mean I do it perfect, and it doesn't mean I shouldn't be challenged, and it doesn't mean I should sit up here and act like I used to have problems, but I don't anymore. Have you ever noticed how most pastors preach about the things they used to struggle about? Man, I remember back in college, I just really struggled with anger and... I remember back, I used to have a a pornography problem when I was in high school. Oh, you know, I used to have this issue, I used to have this issue, but then they never talk about anything they're currently dealing with. It's like their family just sits in the front row, worships God, and everybody looks perfect with the same haircut. (laughs) It's my church hurt leaking out, sorry. That's not what this is supposed to be. And Moses should have been a man who could see that because he was this beautiful hearted leader for God And yet he didn't, and it came to hurt him a lot. After the people of Israel uh, escaped, if you will, and were wandering around, Moses started to grow in confidence. He started to speak for himself. But the people of Israel still very much so saw Aaron as a voice of God because Moses had made it that way. And it says eventually that as Moses grew in confidence and followed God out into the unknown, that God called him up to this mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. And he's spending time with God. And Joshua is somewhere around there, and there's this beautiful experience and dialogue while God is giving these people who've had this bondage culture these 10 ways in which they can exist outside of bondage, and it's, it's honor this, and do that, and don't covet this, and they're all kind of basic rules for living in a community. For this entire community for 400 some odd years had been a slave community, so they had just been living how their masters taught them. And so God's loving them and giving them basic human rules, and he's doing it through Moses, but it's taking a lot of time as he's up there. And it says the people down below begin to get frustrated. And then as they begin to get frustrated, they begin to allow their old mentality to, 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 uh, to take over. And Aaron, who was with them, began to receive the authority he shouldn't have been given in the first place. And he started to use it to do terrible things. Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They saw that the person that God had, had, had put in charge had put someone else in authority, and when that person kind of wavered, they suddenly realized that they were lost, and so they leaned into the person who shouldn't have been put in charge in the first place, and he went right back to old ways of living. He went right back to old culture. He built idols. He said, this is who saved you. Something touchable. Something seeable. Something seeable. This is a beautiful expression of how Christians, by the way, are supposed to live in this world. We're supposed to be touchable and seeable because that's how lost people are affected by God. We're supposed to be the presence of Christ, not just go, hey, you should go to church and listen to a sermon or hear a song. We're supposed to be that presence in people's lives, even outside of this space. And that's what these people needed. And Aaron, instead of giving them the guidance he should have, decided to lean in because it feels good when you're called to help it feels good when you're called to lead and so he built them a giant golden cliche he said the lord helps those who help themselves he said when the lord closes the door he opens a window he said i don't know where moses is here's a golden calf you can touch it and worship it if you want to This is always how the world responds. This is how many of us got church hurt in the first place because people just offered us giant golden cliches as we went through crisis instead of doing what Joe did, for instance, which is just be vulnerable and authentic and open-handed inside the community. The best thing you can do with somebody who's hurting is just sit next to them. It's just be in the community with them. What Aaron should have done is said, yeah, it is really scary. And I don't know where Moses is. But I know God brought us here for a reason, so let's just be scared together. Let's just cry out together. Let's just be vulnerable together. Let's just be hurt together. But instead, he offers them this giant cliche, and God knows the entire thing is going on. And so he comes up to Moses, and he says, hey Moses, you should probably head down and see what these crazy people I freed from bondage are doing. He says, as a matter of fact, Moses, maybe I should just start over with these people. Maybe we should just wipe these people out, because they clearly don't wanna be free from their old lives. And I'll just start over with you and build a great people out of you. And Moses is offended. He's like, God, you're a God of mercy. That's not how you you treat your people. That's not how it should be. And God's like, okay, then I'll relent. Moses is like, thank you, God. Thank you. You should relent for these people need to, you know, be loved and, and cared for. Moses was, you could tell there's just a sense that he's like, I can't even believe you would think that. And then he heads down the mountain and as he gets closer and closer to the mountain, it says that he heard singing and and playing and, and dancing and all of a sudden Moses' heart started to be tweaked by these people in the way they weren't just disrespecting God, they were disrespecting him. Verse 15, then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. And then it gives you very clear descriptions of these tablets so that you weren't confused because about what was to happen. The tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Hashtag these are a big deal. But then it says in verse 17, when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And suddenly Moses was just as offended as God So, Moses, unlike God, decided to do something about it. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder. And then, listen to this then he scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. This man lost his mind. And this is so incredibly human of us. See, when, when, we're, when we hear of people who are, who are offended with God, we're like, oh, you know, God, you should have mercy on these people. I mean, I mean, you should relax a little bit. These people have hard lives. These people have expectations that aren't being met. But when people offend us about God, all of a sudden anger burns in our heart and we're like, you should just drink this and die. <laughs> I mean, it's really extreme for a guy who was like, God, don't do anything about their behavior. And then he sees the behavior, but the behavior is directly affecting him. The behavior is directly speaking to him, his leadership, his authority, his calling in the world. So often we as Christians are far more offended by what people say about us, our church and our pastors than we are about God. And when God's like, you know, I think I'm gonna do something about this, we're like, I can't even believe that God would do that. Have you seen all the different judgment of God in the world? And you're like, man, I don't know about this God. He seems cruel in so many ways. And then somebody says something mean about us or our family or our belief, and we're like, this person's clearly gonna burn in hell. I should go write a sign and hold it on my face everywhere they go. This is just a very typical way that we exist. Moses is a consistent offender of this. We're all fairly uh, aware of when Moses strikes the rock. I don't know if you realize it's just a larger version of the story. In Numbers 20, nearing the end of their 40 years of wandering, the Israelites came to the desert of Zen and they're about to cross into the promised land, but there was no water. And once again, the community turns against Moses and Aaron. Once again, they make it personal And so Moses is frustrated, but he decides this time he's going to handle it well. So he goes before God. He wants to do the right thing. He humbles himself along with Aaron. And God says to him, yes, yes, I will bring forth water. He says to him, go out now and speak to the rock and water will come forth. So Moses gathers the people who are grumbling and angry and cross-armed like this because, once again, Moses has drawn them into this drama where there's no water and they're still living in the desert. And how many years are we going to be doing this? And can't you believe it? And God and God and God and Moses and Moses and Moses and drama and drama and drama. And Moses gets up on the rock and he has a calling and he has a purpose and he finally has the ability to say the words, but he decides not to. He decides instead to teach them a lesson. Numbers 20, verses 10 through 12, then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, hear now, you rebels. It's a great opening line to any sermon. <laughs> and then instead of saying this is what God's gonna do, he throws himself into the God-offended club. He says, hear now, you rebels, shall we, uh-oh, now you're, you're offended with God, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. God does not mess around when his people speak on his behalf in an inappropriate, unhelpful way. You don't get to say we. You get to say he. And when people are offended with his word, you get to just say, Man, I'll sit in, in that with you. You don't need to defend God. You don't need to march for God. You don't need to stand in the gap for God. One guy told me one time I need to take bullets for God. One guy told me Kesed would never survive unless I was willing to stand up for the way people were talking about God. And I said, Are you serious? That's like that illustration of a lion protecting, or a mouse protecting a lion. Like, what's it gonna do? Like, I am not here to defend God. I'm here to sit in some of the same frustrations you have, but more importantly, I'm here to sit with you as God reveals himself to you. I don't know why these people were thirsty in the first place. I'm not God. But if God tells you and I to minister to a person and speak into their lives, but instead we're so frustrated with the disrespect the person is showing us and God that we decide to smack them twice in the name of the Lord, God's still going to provide by the way for them as the water came out, but he's then going to go, uh, Danny, can we have a quick talk? I asked you to speak to the person and you smacked them twice. This is what a lot of us do in our evangelism in our offices in our lives with our employees God's like hey be gentle with this person and and you're like yeah I'll be gentle with him smack And then God like does discipline them or does correct them or does reveal himself. But then we don't realize that God's actually looking at us for we are more responsible than even the person of non-belief that is trying to journey. And we are not helpful, not helpful, not helpful, not helpful. And God's just using it all over the place. Blessing, 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 blessing. There's so many messed up churches led by messed up teams of people doing amazing things for God. But I'm just here to tell you, God takes it serious that's one of the reasons this leadership stuff it's not easy I have dreams I'm excited I want to be in a building with my team I want people to be able to stop by their church and see us I don't know why God hasn't provided enough for that but my job is not to then manipulate and push and shame and all of a sudden dive into this other thing and become a different person and smack our church into making sure we finish that project, do you know how easy it would be for me to say, hey, I know things are hard for you guys. I know things are a struggle, but you know what? We're gonna have faith that God's gonna provide the funds anyways. And if you don't have faith to give money to that project, well then, that's on you. Cue the underscore. It's dirty, but it's true. It's the name of another sermon I should probably write soon. It's dirty, but it's true. <laughs> we're supposed to be a community that can walk this stuff out. And saying whatever we want, whenever we want, is not helpful. I'll give you two beautiful illustrations that are recent of people who said things to me that were not helpful. The first one happened uh, with somebody who's not a part of our church community at all. As a matter of fact, he's a young man that uh, works at the car wash I go to on a regular basis. I go there often enough that Joaquin and I have become friends. Although every time I go, we have different conversations about different things. He knows what I do. One time I needed to go inside the building. I've never actually gotten out of my car at the car wash in the year and a half I've been going there. Joaquin's a taller gentleman. And he saw me get out of the car and I'm not exaggerating. He took four steps back and he goes, ha, are you serious? And I said, what? And he goes, you are way shorter than I thought you would be. His boss was standing next to him and he goes, Joaquin, Joaquin. And I said, well, Joaquin, what are you, what are you talking about? And he goes, man, I'm just telling you, based on the way you drive your car and everything else, I thought you were at least 6'2". And I said, Joaquin, I don't know what, don't know what that means, but thank you very much. He said, I just have one question for you. (laughs) And then very coldly, he just said, do you shop at Baby Gap? (laughs) That's not helpful, folks. (laughs) I drove there on Thursday before the service. I told him I was gonna do this to him. I said, you know, I'm preaching about you. I'm preaching about you at church. I said, can I have a picture? He goes, sure. These are the two pictures we took. Here's the first one. Look at his face. (laughs) The man's like six, seven. (laughs) Then before I could stop the second picture, he did this just to show a little disrespect. (laughs) It's so rude. (laughs) And now it doesn't always have to be secular, right? It doesn't always have to be outside your family. For instance, recently, uh, my beautiful wife, my wife and I met in junior high at 14 years old. I thought she was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen. And she didn't even barely talk to me. We started dating out of high school, but we knew each other from junior high. And recently I had my two of my, my two daughters over and they were just talking about stories and life and all the things. And I was in the other room and I heard my oldest daughter ask my wife. She said, mom, why, uh, why didn't you date dad in junior high? And she goes, oh, you know, we were just into different things. And I kind of stopped what I was doing, and she goes, no, I mean, I mean dad's dad, right? And, and you love him. She goes, oh, I do, I love him dearly. She goes, well, what, why, what, really, why didn't you date him? And then there was a lot, of, a lot of quiet, and this is when she shouldn't have said what was in her mind. <laughs> and she goes, well, your dad just wasn't that handsome in junior high. <laughs> now I'm gonna show you a picture just to prove the point that I, think, I, don't, I don't think it's true. This is my wife at 14 years old when we met, right? Beautiful. And this is me at 14 years old. (laughs) I'll put them side by side. I don't know about you guys, but I think this is a junior high power couple right here. That's what I think. I don't know what her problem is. I was very offended for like three days till she reminded me about this picture. And then I was like, well, fine. What am I gonna do about it now? And she's like, nothing, but there was just no way that was ever gonna happen, I'm sorry. See, this is what I'm talking about. Sometimes even though stuff is true, it's not really that helpful to share. We as Christians have to understand that. We have to get better at it. It took me a long time to realize that when it comes to encouraging, disciplining, or influencing this world on God's behalf, even when he calls us into it, it's his heart that takes priority, not mine. It's his story that takes priority, not mine. And when I let it get personal, when I let it get get too intimate, then I become someone who breaks his word, smashes it, grinds it up, and forces people to drink it, all in the name of holiness, when really it's all just a big power play on my behalf. We as Christians have been taught this. We have a legacy of this, that we have to dismantle if we want the next generation behind Below us, the ones we're going to give this whole thing away to, we have to dismantle it so that we can be the people God called us to be. And that's exactly what God did in the desert when He dismantled the leadership that was in the desert of Moses and Aaron and He put a different man, Joshua, in charge who led those people into a new place, into a new season. And you know what's so beautiful about it? And I don't remember the verse exactly because it's not my most, it's like Joshua 1 6. It's one of the only places. That when God is speaking to someone, he says, if you do this and this and this, you will be successful. And it's like, don't turn away and be courageous and do these beautiful things. And it's all about this obedience piece. If you will listen to me you will be successful, you will be the person God calls you to be. And that's the whole entire purpose of everything we're doing here. Everybody asks like, well, what's your version of success? There's only one version of success. It's your life being obedient to the design God has for it. And if that means you're a missionary in a far off land, or you're speaking on a stage, or you're working at a car wash and you're doing exactly what God has asked you to do, then you are successful. Your life will be full and you will be helpful. And you will be able to speak into people's stories and you will be able to be honest and when it becomes personal, you'll go, oh man, I'm feeling that, but that's because it's impacting my story and that's not impacting my God and God still wants me to love this person and be a part of their world. We are called to share our hearts unabashedly, but we are to do it in the name of the Lord and in the name of his movement. This is why we gather this is what we're supposed to do so i don't know where in your life you are easily offended i don't know where in your life you are hurting i don't know where in your life you are uh, avoiding because you don't want to get into those conversations but i just want to say this i want to say that everything would change if we as christians could learn how to take punches as good as we throw them Everything would change if we could learn how to sit in difficult situations. Everything would change if we could sit in a room and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Because ultimately, that's exactly what impacted this world so much. It wasn't all the punches he threw. It was all the punches he took and loved people anyways that people noticed. And that's ultimately what communion's about, which we're going to take here in a moment. That's what the cross is about. It's the world throwing punch after punch after punch at him and him standing there receiving it and loving them anyways. And people don't know what to do with that. But we're still out there throwing punches and burning down people's idols and making them drink it and proclaiming it somehow righteous and loving. And we are hurting people on a regular basis. Our job is to sit in that space and receive from him. And if you're somebody who's been church hurt, if you're somebody who who's who's, has experienced this before, I say it again and again and again. I am so sorry. As someone with a little bit of authority in the church world, I am so sorry. That is not how it was supposed to work. And I am so grateful that you're here today taking another chance, and I believe in my heart of hearts that's the Holy Spirit working on you to bring you out of that that place and into an entirely new experience with God's people. I think there's a lot of people like you coming, and I think a community like this could use you. I think for the rest of us, you got a job to do. You gotta get better at taking punches. You gotta get better at loving people. You gotta get better at being helpful by keeping your mouth shut and just being the arms and hands that hold those who hurt. We have to believe that God will provide water in the desert, and we have to speak it and not smack people with it. And we have to be there when they experience his living water so that they can see that that quenched thirst isn't from us or our programs or our structures, but it is from God. Last Saturday, um, I was, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna close with this story. Last Saturday, uh, I was frustrated with a light behind my house, a parking light behind my house that comes off and on all night long. It's, one of the, it's a big street lamp that shines into our bedroom window. And so I sent a, a, a text to my neighbor who's part of our HOA, and I said, hey, Joe, I need to know what to do about this light. Yeah, do I talk to the HOA people? Do I talk to somebody else? What do I do about it? And Joe didn't respond for like 15, 20 minutes. So then all of a sudden I got a text from Joe who was just on stage, our youth pastor. And he sent me this. Hey, Danny. You know, I'm not sure. I think you could email the Clark Public Utilities and give them a call and ask. I would think they would manage those. Also, we would love to get together with you all. <laughs> this is on a Saturday. And I was like, what? And then I realized I text the wrong Joe. I want you to put yourself in Joe's position. Your boss texts you on your day off with a random question about a streetlight with lots of passion. Like, what am I supposed to do about this, Joe? <laughs> and Joe replies by the, with, with helpful information that, by the way, really funny, ended up being correct. Because I read Texted it to my correct neighbor across the street and he said the same thing. You need to call PUD. This is what is a beautiful example of how we're supposed to be helpful to the world. Because the world, this is what it's all about. The world will always ask, an off. they will always offer an off-putting request asked in an off-putting way expecting an answer that helps. Your job is to find out where they are. Even if it's like, why, why would he ask me this? Okay. This is what helpful looks like. And it's that easy. It's that simple and this is who we're supposed to be in this beautiful world that we're all a part of. I'm just proud of this community, I'm proud of us and I'm proud of what God is doing in it and I hope you are willing to stay in it with us to see it come to fruition, amen? Amen, so with that said and that idea of Jesus being the one that uh, takes the ultimate punches, I wanna give you some space to a process in your life where you need to do that. This, uh, this small cup is, represents the, 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 the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples, the small cracker, the wafer. It represents the body. The juice represents the blood. It represents this giant punch that the world was about to throw upon Jesus that would put him on the cross that he would receive for all of us. And so during this closing song, during this closing time to just process, I want you to take this whenever you feel ready but take it, I would recommend you take it this, this today as a symbol of the punches in your life that you know you're going to have to receive. It could be apologizing to someone you don't know uh, how it will go. It could be owning something you've not owned for a long time. It could be loving someone who's hard to love. I don't know what the Holy Spirit wants to do with you. But I know that, that this communion is for you to align yourself with Christ. Who received all the world had to offer and loved them anyways? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this space. Thank you that we can take some time to just reflect upon you. Somewhere within this this time of reflection, Lord, we ask that uh, you would prompt us to take this, to remember your body, to remember your blood, to put ourselves in alignment with you and where in our stories and our marriages, in our jobs, and our communities, and our spiritual journeys, we can do better to love people who are hard to love. Thank you for the sacrifice, God. Thank you for the way that you have brought every person in this room right now, in spite of tragedy, in spite of abuse, in spite of trauma, they are still here today knowing that you receive them, that you love them, that you meet them. We are so incredibly grateful that you took so many punches for us. We thank you, Lord. We sit in this space now. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen.
2: You are making new wine In the soil I now surrender You are breaking new ground so I yield to you and to your careful hands and when I trust you I don't need to understand so make me a vessel and make me an offering make me whatever you want me to be God, I came here with nothing, but all you have given me. Oh, Jesus, bring new wine out of me. In the crushing, in the pressing, you are me. Soil e
0: the new creation you promise that all of us will experience as we surrender our lives to you. I pray that every person in here who is uh, right on the precipice of just giving over that control, of being willing to sit in that sacrificial space of loving um, not only their neighbors, Lord, but maybe even themselves. May you just prompt them to continue that journey. Thank you for revealing yourself to each of us for allowing us to enter into this time of worship and communion with you. And that we ask, Lord, that it would be more than just a Sunday service that we would leave uh, filled, we would leave connected, we would leave convicted, that it would be something that stays with us all week long. May we have incredible conversations about you this week. May we ponder, may we sit in the quiet, may we worship, may we scream out or cry, whatever we need to do, God, to be authentic before you. We're grateful that you'll be there to meet us. We lift it all up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for coming. God bless. We'll see you next week.